0: One of the biggest challenges when making any kind of web mapping or web map builder is that it's really easy to get people to make a map today, it's hard to get them to make a map tomorrow. And without them wanting to make a map tomorrow, it's hard to get money out of them. It's very hard to monetize.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Jonathan Wagner. Jonathan is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Scribble Maps. And today on the podcast, we're gonna be talking about consumer geo. We're gonna be talking about why it's so difficult to create a business around web mapping. So just recently, I've seen a lot of new companies popping up in this space and the the promise is basically the same. The promise is we're gonna democratize web maps. We're gonna make it easier for consumers, for non-geospatial professionals, to create and share maps. So Jonathan has a ton of experience in this industry. He's been doing it for 13 years, and he's going to share some insights. He's going to talk about some opportunities, and he's going to tell us why he thinks the future of his business is creating a viable alternative to ArcGIS and QGIS. If you want to try Scribble Maps out for yourself, Jonathan's created a rather generous offer for the listeners of this podcast. And if you go to ScribbleMaps.com Mapscaping, You can get access to the Scribble Maps platform for a year at a really heavily discounted rate. So check it out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it's ScribbleMaps.com slash Mapscaping. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. You are the co-founder of a company called Scribble Maps. And today on the podcast, I wanted to dive into this idea of consumer geo, web mapping, and, and figure out why it's so hard. We'll save the details of that for later on. Just for the sake of context, would you mind sort of elaborating a bit on that? Like, who are you? How did you get involved in, in, in Scribble Maps?
0: Yeah, um, my name is Jonathan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Scribble Maps. Scribble Maps is a web mapping and GIS solution we started 13 years ago. It initially started as a hobby project as a, as a portfolio piece for just essentially my development agency. And over the years, it's grown to a point where now that's my entire business.
1: Well, when you say it started off as a hobby project, was it something that you were interested in mapping online or did you see an opportunity in the space to democratize web mapping?
0: I wish it was that clever. It's kind of cliche, but the idea came to me in a dream. So I just built it as, you know, I was this portfolio piece because I thought it was a good idea and it seemed fun at the time.
1: Okay, so, so what is Scribble Maps? What did you build?
0: The initial version really just let you create lines and markers on a map that was it. Just really basic annotations. At that time, this was 13 years ago, I did some a lot of optimization. So it worked better than a lot of web mapping apps at the time doing similar things. So that really helped. And,
1: and was that enough to get traction right at the start? So we're talking about this. I, I realized at the start, it was a hobby project, but I guess at some stage you decide to invest a lot of resources in this and, and make it into a business. Was it enough at the start that you were just slightly better than your competitors? to give you the traction that you needed to get users on the platform, get people making maps, get people talking about it, and eventually start monetizing it?
0: Yeah, I, I, in terms of the success, I think because I didn't want to monetize it, that's why I kind of got my initial success. One thing I did that is still pretty unique is I let you create a map without having any kind of an account. So right now you can go to Scrub Maps, create a map, draw all over the map, and then hit save, and then you can share it with friends. You don't even have to log in and that made me pretty popular with schools because teachers could use it to with their kids and still that's we have a lot of teachers using Scribble Maps in the classroom cuz their students don't have to register to use it. We also were lucky enough to get like featured by the Google Maps team and on the the Google Developer blog. So we got a lot of initial traction because of that structure that you could create a map without an account.
1: That's amazing that something which sounds relatively simple Right, it's, it's almost a lack of feature. So you're not asking people to form a relationship with you, you're just saying, here, draw on this, post it online kind of thing. Like obviously there's little barrier to entry. There's almost no barrier to entry there. And, and I understand that. But what advantage does that give you? Why is that an advantage for, for Scribble Maps?
0: I think it's just a, an, a value add to kind of the product-led. You know, with product-led, you're, you're giving away stuff for free. And this is just kind of another level where you can just start making a map no account and so it gets people using it because one of the the hardest parts of creating web mapping or a web mapping application is just getting people in the door to use it so that's why it, the more barriers you have in front of it the less likely you're going to get those users to use your application okay
1: so that that makes sense and and i'm glad you used the word hard there because in their introduction, i mentioned we're going to be talking about why consumer geo is hard why making web maps is so hard and especially making a, a business around it is so difficult. What else is hard about this? Because you're talking to an audience of people that thinks mapping is you know, relatively intuitive. But again, we have experience in this, perhaps we're geospatial professionals. Why is it so hard for consumers?
0: There's a lot of reasons. There's, there's more reasons now that it's more difficult than when I started. But one of the biggest challenges when making any kind of web mapping or web map builder is that it's really easy to get people to make a map today it's hard to get them to make a map tomorrow and without them wanting to make a map tomorrow it's hard to get money out of them it's very hard to monetize so that that's one of the biggest challenges it's easy to make a map builder get people in they'll throw some markers on a map make a map of you know their vacation or their adventure or their trip it's harder to get them to come back and do it again on a regular basis and that's i think One of the hardest challenges I have, and if someone can solve that, uh, it's kind of a holy grail, because if you can figure out a way to get people to not just make a map today, but to make it tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you have something very unique. And to be
1: honest, I had never thought of that side of it. It makes perfect sense when, when you say it like that. I thought the biggest challenge would have been like the way geospatial professionals talk about mapping. So we talk about buffers and we talk about all this kind of functionality. And when I think about some of the online maps that I've seen or when I think about geospatial tools, they're pretty complex, right? They can solve a lot of problems and you need to be relatively specialized to use them. And from what I see, a lot of people try and just port everything that they were doing on a desktop to a map and say, there you go, consumer. And I, to be honest, I thought that would have been the most difficult thing, that it was overwhelming for consumers to make maps, to to edit maps and to process data.
0: I would say yes and no. UX is a huge portion of it. So one of the the hallmarks of scroll maps is trying to keep it as easy as possible, and we're guided by this mission to make it accessible. But the the average use case for a non professional mapper they kind of there's probably only like twenty or thirty. The professional mapper has a legion of different things they're going to do. You know, every we have demos all the time, and every single use case is completely unique. But with the non professional. There's a lot, and I've definitely seen some really interesting things uh, with scroll maps. Uh, and I'll, I'll give an example. Um, a teacher gave an assignment to their kids to be like, if a zombie apocalypse happened, how would you plan your world? Like, what would you do in your neighborhood? And that was like a really unique use case or planning trick or treat roads. So there is a lot of non-professional use cases, but putting lines and markers for, for users. You know, My Maps has been around forever. When I came out, they no longer exist. There was a, I had a competitor called UMapper. They show up fairly regularly. I I call it the Darwinian map building lifecycle. So what happens is you have this mapping startup. It comes out. It makes it really easy to create a map. They go along, but at some point they're going to hit a point and go, "Well, we need to make money to do this." But it's very hard to get the consumer to pay pay for features, right? So they keep adding features, and then they become sophisticated and they alienate their initial like non professional users and then the cycle continues. You have someone else come in and goes, why is making maps so hard? And then you get a new mapping startup that makes mapping simple. And I've seen probably in, in my 13 years, four or five, some of them are international. Some of them got large funding and it just kind of keeps happening over and over again. And like I said, that it's, it comes back to that challenge. How do you get the non professional map maker to make a map? tomorrow
1: that's super interesting because i look at maps as almost like a or they could potentially be an evergreen source of content They could actually be content creation platforms and i think in a world where i hate to say it but, but content is king everybody's looking to post something online everybody's looking to generate some kind of content and put it somewhere share it somewhere i'm surprised that that alone isn't enough to get people
0: coming back well, so on my platform, right, I have a map right now. It tracks the Ukraine war map. I have a couple of Ukraine war maps. One is getting like three or 4 million views, I think, which is a huge percentage of my total views. But I think the my top amount of maps is something in the ballpark of 50 million views. So it's a quite a large number. I've been featured on a lot of big platforms, news websites, when the pandemic happened, you know, at one point, I had a map that had 10,000 simultaneous users, and it was tracking the pandemic. But the challenge is it doesn't translate, the views don't translate to making map makers. So if you have a map that kind of gets a million views, that's usually one person making that map. And of those million people, they won't necessarily look at that map and be like, oh yeah, I wanna go make a map now. And one of the biggest challenges I had right at the beginning was when I came out, it's like, oh, this is cool, but how would I use this outside of directions? And I think I've had some success with kind of like moving the needle a bit and getting people to think more in, in mapping, like the non-professionals, but there's still that very stark divide between the professional map maker and the non-professional map maker. And where if you go to the non-professional map maker and ask them like what they see maps being used for, they'll have a very limited idea. Whereas if you ask like a GIS or a mapping professional, it's like, well, maps are used in literally everything, like 80% or 90% of all data has it. And going back to the the content point, maps have some very specific characteristics that make them unlike, say, a blog or a video. And one of those characteristics is, in general, maps expire so quickly compared to, say, a blog or a video. So you make a funny video or you write a blog about how to make a certain casserole, that will stick around forever. But if you make a map, say, oh, these are my top 10 bar locations. How long is that that map going to last? It's not going to last very long. And so what ends up happening is a lot of times the map becomes kind of a supporting feature instead of the primary feature in other mediums, whether it's a video or a blog post. So that makes it as a content platform, it makes it very challenging. And that's without getting into the data costs that comes with. So you have this map, it goes viral, it gets millions of views. You're like, oh, this is it. I've made it. And then you turn out, oh, it doesn't really monetize very well one of the best examples was this was when pokemon go was getting really popular i wanted to hop on on that train so i made it easier to make pokemon go maps and i got millions upon millions of views i estimate that out of all of that i think i got three customers (laughs) it probably ended up being a net negative for me
1: okay so i understand this now so popular maps viral maps don't monetize in terms of they don't turn people don't arrive at that map and go, oh great, I would like to make a map like this as well and become a paying subscriber to, to Scribble Maps. I understand that. What about monetization in terms of ads? So we see this with other sort of content plays. We see this on YouTube where a viral video, you can run ads against that and monetize that way. Websites can do this with, with content that goes viral because so many millions of people see the ad and therefore it's worth it. And you see people actually creating content just for this reason. Is that a potential way of monetizing web maps?
0: This is a catch-22, and I also think this is an opportunity. The challenge with ads on maps, and over 13 years, Google also tried this. At one point with their map API, they had an ability to turn on like a banner ad inside of the map. But the problem with having ads is that they're so intrusive and they invade on the map that people don't want to share that map, right? So the the catch-22 is, yeah, I'm getting all these views. It's like, well, just stick ads on it but they wouldn't get the views if I had ads on them because people don't want to have ads on the maps, right? Even if it's for free. So if I had put these banner ads on it, I wouldn't get those map, millions of map views. You know, the millions of map views is great from, for a brand exposure, which is really hard to calculate. So people might know of Scribble Maps because of exposure through the maps, but that I, I can't really necessarily calculate that. So it's really good for my brand Right, I'm getting maps with millions of views. Everyone knows what Scribble Maps is, and maybe if you want to make a map down the road, you'll come come to Scribble Maps. But it's from a direct monetization perspective, it's it's hard. In addition, the problem with ads now is I'm not sure what Google. I haven't checked the Google pricing recently, but I think Google pricing is eight or nine or ten dollars per thousand map loads and mapbox. I last time I checked was around seven dollars per thousand. It's very hard to get that kind of ad revenue from a single banner ad. So to offset the cost of your your map data, you're more than likely going to have to use one, two, three, four banner ads just to you know offset the cost of the actual map itself. And no one wants to share a map that has you know three or four banner ads on it.
1: Okay, so I totally understand that it gets intrusive, and therefore people won't share it. It won't go viral, and it would have to be intrusive in order to offset the cost of those those map impressions from from Google or whoever it is that's providing the base map. In a previous conversation, you talked about this idea of inflation. Like you talked about massive inflation versus the rest of the industry when you think about map data and, and mapping startups. Could you explain to me and to the listeners what it is that you, you were talking about there?
0: The easiest way to explain it is when, you know, when I started, you could pretty much use the Google Maps API for totally free. Right, 100% free. If you wanted to charge for your app or you wanted to do anything in logistics, they wanted their yearly fee of I think it was like ten thousand dollars at the time. And you know, being a young kid creating a startup, I didn't have ten thousand dollars, but the other stuff was free, so I could I couldn't build it for free. And over time, it keeps getting more expensive. Whereas other things like cloud storage, cloud hosting, a lot of Stuff in other tech spaces keeps getting cheaper, whereas map data keeps getting more expensive. I have theories on why this is. I I think, in particular, with Google Maps, they plateaued a little bit and they need to figure out how to make more re- revenue. I think they they have a lot of debt, like from research. It's a, very expensive to run all those streetcars. And so they want to make that money back as well. I'm not 100% sure. It, it kind of defies reason because. OpenStreetMap data is available. Like I run my own OpenStreetMap server. I'm surprised there isn't more map tile providers, like map data providers. Shout out to like open map tiles, which and then you also have Mapbox, box and you have some. I'm I'm it's a little bit surprising that with open street map data, you just don't have more of these providers to bring costs down. But one of the challenges I think with that is Google Maps data is just so superior to OpenStreetMap data that you're kind of stuck using it if you if if you start using it. And I've tried to transition, you know, Scribble Maps away at some points for certain things, and I actually had to go back because, the, unfortunately, the OpenStreetMap data at the time wasn't wasn't good enough.
1: And just to be clear, we're talking about map tiles here. We're talking about the base maps when we talk about. The the expensive side of using these services. We're not talking about all the other things like like geocoding, for example.
0: Oh, uh, I'm talking about all of it. So the map base is definitely a cost. The, the geocodes and place search is also very very expensive. I spend more with Google Maps place search than I actually do on the base maps. Like people typing in looking for for specific locations. Wow, that is that's actually really surprising. It, it is and isn't when you think. When you're typing in like an address into Google Maps, what you get is usually a point that is directly on top of a house, right? Whereas with OpenStreetMap, if you type in an address, what you usually get is a block level. So it, the, the point will usually be in, in the middle of the road. So you know what the address range is for the road, but they don't know actually know the houses. So you get the point in the middle of the road. Whereas with Google, you get the actual point on top of the house. I know some, like Mapbox has definitely improved a lot in this, but this is still kind of an issue where if you want a specific house, Google's sometimes the only provider that can offer that.
1: Okay. So you make it sound like Google's a bit of a monopoly here in terms of that they have simply the best data and provide the, the best services. At least that's what I hear you say.
0: I don't want to use that word, but they definitely have a very strong competitive advantage, especially because you know, how many people use the Google Maps app? And that all feeds data back into their their data, right? Every time someone reports or they're driving, and I'm not sure everyone's aware of this, but Waze is also feeds into the Google Maps engine as well. So that for the traffic analytics, so if you're using Waze, that's feeding into the Google Maps engine as well.
1: Well, I, I was not aware of that. And again, it, it makes sense what you say, how that how the ecosystem would sort of work together to strengthen the other parts of the ecosystem. So, so that side, of it makes sense. What about three D web maps? Do you see this? As, and I realize I'm jumping a little bit ahead in the conversation now. But while we're talking about functionality, I thought this might make for an interesting conversation. Do you see this as just a cosmetic thing, or do you actually see utility in three D web maps?
0: I eventually want to do it, but it's always. It depends on what you're doing. It certainly is kind of gimmicky. It makes nice pictures, but it's not necessarily always the most useful. Now, if you're trying to do, say, a flood analysis, or you're trying to do a point of view analysis, or you're creating really sophisticated models, uh, that is, you, you definitely, the 3D helps, especially for visualization. But a lot of use cases, you don't necessarily really need the 3D for web mapping. And sometimes it just, gets in the way you know google maps for instance if you have it open they have full 3d how often if if you think about yourself how often have you rotated the view to look around you know you might have done it once you're like oh this is cool i'm looking at the buildings oh but i need to see my directions now so i'm going to go back to the back to the top view and follow my little blue arrow so there is there's certainly a a certain level of you know 3d maps is a gimmick but there is definitely use cases to 3d
1: yeah i completely understand that there's use cases to it but I think that this kind of divides the waters a little bit too, like in terms of who is this for, because if you're talking about the non-professional mapper, I can see them doing exactly what you said, like looking at the 3D map once or twice, spinning them out and around going, oh, great, look at that. That's amazing. And then going back to doing whatever it is they're doing because they have very little use case for it. And if they did have a use case for it, they're probably a professional, you know, who's actually creating some model or doing some analysis. And for me, at least those are two very different users. Also, when I think of, the kinds of functionality, the kinds of user experience or UI that you expose to those two users. How do you think about servicing these two different kinds of users?
0: Well, it, this is probably one of Scrabble Map's biggest challenges, we call it. It's like trying to avoid the convergence. So you start out real simple, you keep adding features. You want it to be simple enough that anyone can use it, but you, it also has to have this very strong capability for the professional mapper. I feel we've been fairly successful. With it, where we try to kind of be the middle ground between, you know, if my maps is way at the bottom and ArcGIS is at the top, we're kind of in the middle, although we've definitely over the over the last couple of years kind of been leaning more towards ArcGIS. It's certainly a challenge. So you have the hobbyists and then you have the ultra professional map makers, but then there are a lot of people in the middle as well. You know, they're executives who want to do things, but they might not necessarily have the, the technical capabilities. Right. And I think that's where there's also a lot of opportunity for people that want to make mapping startups. So you've been very dire so far, (laughs) you know, I've been doing this for 13 years. So optimistically, I think there's a lot of value for mapping startups that do a lot of abstraction. And an interesting thought experiment is what is the most successful, popular custom map maker on the planet? It's not me. It's not even my maps. It is, in fact, Google Maps. Every time you type in cafes near me or plot directions to a point from me, that creates a perfectly custom map. Now, no one thinks when they're using Google Maps and typing cafes to me that they're creating a custom map, like they are a map maker. But that is, in fact, what is happening, right? It's just the whole process has been so abstracted and simplified that the person doesn't even realize that they are, in fact, a map maker making a map at that specific point.
1: Yeah. That is a, a great point. Imagine if it was that easy. I guess in, in this particular situation, it, it is that easy. But I'm thinking of all of those GIS people out there in the world that are servicing some sort of web GIS system. And I guess one of the biggest problems they face is how much functionality do I expose to people? How do I make them understand what the buffer tool actually does? They say they need to be able to make maps, but like they don't understand the language that, that us, the professional map makers, use. How do you abstract that away and at the same time give them the tools, the functionality that they need to actually make a map like to, to do something to do some analysis
0: yeah it, that, it, that's the challenge um, using something say like a travel time isochrome, right you go to a person on the street and you say, "What is a travel time isochrome or what is an isochrome they're going to have no idea unless you're, you happen to find a GIS person randomly, so for the 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 non professional, they would probably like travel time shape or travel time polygon or walk time polygon or walk time shape. And the non-professionals that come to my service, they sort of understand this. But at the same time, if I have that and the the professionals coming and they're looking for the isochrone functionality, they might not recognize it as the travel time because they're looking specifically for the isochrone. So we usually show both, like we'll put the technical term in in brackets and we have some other ideas going forward on how to improve like the language based on context of the user but it's it's a challenge it's always going to be a challenge to decide well what features do i want to add without completely alienating all my existing users
1: so up until now we've been talking about these professional or non-professional users i wonder if it would be it would make more sense to talk about the people that care about the technology and the people that care about the roi
0: yeah i mean ultimately i think if you ask a GIS or a mapping professional, what's the value of maps? It's very easy for them to answer because they, they've they seen all the business opportunities. A non-professional who won't understand the concept of ROI. Uh, and then kind of the people in the middle that are kind of like maybe executives, managers they have an idea of an ROI. Kind of explaining it to them can be sometimes challenging and a lot of them, because map, another challenge of mapping type, so much has been given away for free for so long that it's kind of an expectation. So if you start charging sometimes, some of these people in the middle ground are like, well, I don't want to pay for this. Even if it's absurd. Even if it's they would rather spend, you know, 10 or 15 hours trying to wrangle something in Google My Maps or like using a bunch of free tech than, you know, just spend the 20 bucks and save them all their time. I feel from what I'm starting to see with with the traction I'm getting with Scroll Maps, that's changing. More people are understanding the value of mapping in gis and spatial outside of you know the professional mapping community
1: so I, I i'm guilty of this myself looking around for a free product instead of just just spending the money and i guess part of the reason i would do that in, in this circumstances because i don't know if i'm willing to invest to create that relationship with you for example i don't know if i'll be back to make a, a map again tomorrow not like getting back to a, a earlier conversation but what I'm wondering now is, so you've had this experience where you know what people won't pay for. What will people pay for? Because you make it sound like you need to go all the way out to the end of the long tail and find very, very, very specific functionality that people can't find other places. And then perhaps that's the thing that will pay for. Am I on the right track?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's, although a lot of you, I don't want to give away too much because because some of it's, it's, it's competitive that we definitely have stuff under the hood and things we do. But I can give away the kind of the things that are easily researchable. And, you know, a general idea that the way we approach approach it is like, what is 1% of people using, right? And everything else we kind of try to give away for free. So we give away so much for free. And it, we give away a lot of it to get that 1%. So people want high resolution imagery. People want geocodes people want route optimization, people want analysis, right? Some of these things are pretty obvious. And then obviously limits on storage at a certain point, if someone goes from with, with ours, it's five maps. It's like, at that point, you're like at five maps, it's like, okay, you're using this somewhat regularly. You'll probably pay for it at that point. But we have a lot of people, a significant amount of people who will pay for one month and then cancel and then come back the next year. That's, a lot of our customers are like that as well.
1: Okay. So just to be clear, when you, when you say five maps, so five separate web maps, if someone has made that, then that's kind of a limit that they go over. So you're not as interested in how many users are using those maps. You're more interested in the number of actual mapping applications that somebody has made.
0: Right. That's how, well, we're very unique in in this space in regard that like a lot of our competitors they charge for how many points you're adding to the map the actual physical data on the map we don't do that we just care like the actual map only we also don't charge for the views it, it, it's, a, it's well we do and we don't but your map will never shut off if you hit a large amount of views um but so from our that's only one aspect of like why you would upgrade it's like oh, i want to s- store maps myself and potentially other reasons are for instance we allow offline saving and map data encryption, which you can only do by upgrading.
1: Another thing I've seen with with, with online mapping app applications, perhaps similar to, to Scribble Maps, is this idea that you pay, depending on how many users you have, how many admins there are of, of a particular map. Is, is that something that you do as well?
0: If you're working on a map inside of a team, we charge per seat. It's each user. We're kind of anti-crowdsourcing um, from a cost perspective. We're not really into that. That's not our thing. We don't we don't do crowdsourcing. We like working with like the smaller teams that are building maps.
1: Just explain to me what you mean by crowdsourcing in in this regard, please.
0: Creating a map and having, you know, 10, 20,000 people adding their favorite cafes to it. Like those kind of large scale mapping projects, which I think there's a lot of opportunity in, but we don't, we don't focus on that.
1: Is that because the business model was not there for you because it costs so much extra money or why, why is that?
0: yeah it's mostly it's it's a cost thing it's a technology thing it's a monetization thing we definitely get requests for it where people will like i want to to have a map where you know two hundred or three hundred people can contribute to it, and that's just for business reasons it's 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 not something we do.
1: okay, it's not something you do, but you said before you thought there was a business opportunity there. What opportunity do you do you see?
0: a good crowdsourcing solution for you know individuals? If you can control for the cost, you'd probably have to run your own OpenStreetMap server. Might ha- generate enough traffic, and if you can keep the cost down, where you can actually make some okay money. We're more catered towards like the hobbyists and the teams, and the and now a bit more to the the, the professional mapper than to do these large like social community mapping projects.
1: I want to stick with this idea of opportunities. We've talked about a few things. One of them, which I thought was brilliant that, that you mentioned, was this idea that Google Maps has totally abstracted away all the complexity and say, "You know, when you say to Google Maps or type in, you know, bars near me, restaurants near me, you're you're actually a map maker." Which is, I I'd never thought of that before, but I think you're right. So I can imagine a voice, for example, like again abstracting away. I don't need to type in. I just need to say, and, and I'm sure you can do this through Google Voice now. Hey Google. Show me all the, the bars restaurants near me. So that's one way of abstracting away, a way, making it easier. What, what other opportunities do you see when we think about making this easier, making it more intuitive, getting people to come back to make maps?
0: I don't know if it exists yet, but here's an example: like on Scribble Maps, for instance, we have a lot of people use it for free to make like wedding maps. That's a that's a big thing. But I feel like if you were to make a service, for instance, where you could type in because mapping like weddings tend to to be have similar traits. Instead of actually creating the map yourself, you put in like this is where it's held, this is where the photos are, this is, and then it creates the whole map for you, and then you just pay a single one-off fee of you know 150 dollars. I think that could have some value because people spend a lot of money on weddings. But using this as an example, I think that kind of niche specific product has the ability to advertise in a way that other products don't. For instance, if someone's typing in this is where the reception is going to be held, you now know the location the city and what they're using it for. And then you're going to have multiple vendors and that's an advertising opportunity. So as someone's actually typing in where they're, they're, they're going to hold their, you know, their reception, you could potentially have very ultra-specific vendors advertising against that. And that would be a really, I, I think, an interesting thing. So hyper-contextual ads is something that I don't think maps have totally nailed down yet, but I think it's a really interesting use case if someone could really figure out a way to do it really well where it's like okay i know the location and also what the person's intention and then serving up ads based on that hyper specific scenario
1: that's a really interesting idea what about the idea i was thinking about weddings and and i was thinking about the idea of of like branding maps as well i don't see many because people tend to use the the same um, base map providers They, they A lot of the maps that I've seen have a very similar look and feel to them, but I haven't seen anybody doing a great job of actually branding a map, like completely changing or customizing the look and the feel of the map to match an existing brand or an existing idea.
0: I mean, with Scribble Maps, for instance, you can log in, you can hit custom, you can change all the colors, you can change all the labels. But from a consumer perspective, yeah, the the, the branding, I, I think it could be done a lot better, right? Like if you had, you know, going back to the wedding map example, if you had a bunch of fixed styles that you could pick from, and then the whole map was kind of styled for that particular wedding, that would be really interesting. And you could even get like really clever and make the the text like calligraphy. Even though the technology is there, you can do it with Mapbox, you can style it. It's, it seems to be under leveraged. For some reason, I think maybe it's just people haven't really come up with really interesting use cases for it. I know it's definitely used a lot in like when a custom developer is building a custom, say like store locator or location widget on their site, they might actually use the styling component in that situation. But I do think it is definitely something that's under leveraged.
1: So now, now that you've had this experience building a, a product, and, and this is the way I see it as, as a product, Scribble Maps for me as a product, w- would you advise people or do you think there's a better business case to build a product like what you've done or to provide bespoke services when we think about web mapping?
0: I think honestly that there's a lot of value in bespoke services over a product. Everyone wants the product because you know it seems like low work. You get the subscribers. It's great. But I think a lot of the money that's going to be flowing into mapping and into GIS is going to be in services. You know, the, I've seen estimates like 500 billion, you know, these huge numbers. And I don't think all that money is going to flow into any single product or one product. I'm quite confident there are definitely GIS firms now that are doing services that might even use my product and are making significantly more money than me. And there's definitely a push I'm seeing for for bespoke solutions in-house and i'm even seeing some product companies starting to get involved in building bespoke solutions for governments and cities and we might even get involved in it with scrum we haven't decided yet but, but we have so much to do but i definitely think if you can build you know provide mapping services and build web mapping leveraging open tech uh, you know leaflet etc i think there's a lot of opportunity there and you can get up and quickly make money doing what you want to do. And then if you really want to, you know, create a product and then kind of package it in with your services, I think there's a lot of opportunity there as well.
1: Is that because building a product is just difficult? It takes a long time to get traction as you're unsure about like what functionality to have in there, as opposed to like services, building a service, someone builds the product with you, essentially, they tell you we, we need this and specifically we need it to do that with this data over here. And we need to be able to do do these other things with it. Is that the reason why you're sort of pointing at services as perhaps being a better or an easier business model to start with?
0: Yeah, that that's one reason. It's definitely hard to build a product. It's also you know when you're if you have the the network services, you're is going to just pay out much more than trying to get you know that monthly subscription on a product, which you have to market, you know, and you have to really build up a critical mass of subscribers before you're you're making a living, whereas you offer a service though, you know, bespoke solutions are always going, you can always charge significantly more money on a per contract basis than you can just trying to wrangle subscribers. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, in 20 or 30 years, come and ask me again, maybe I'm making so much money and say, I'll never go into service. But I feel that particularly with mapping and, and especially all the problems with that we're trying to solve with the world there's a lot of governments. Sometimes governments have a lot of money, and they're willing to pay for bespoke solutions.
1: You mentioned before you thought that there was uh, GIS companies out there, GIS consultants, perhaps using Scribble Maps and making more money than you. What, what do you think of that as a business model? This idea of almost taking a service, a product like like yours, and white labeling it, and then just being being an expert in that and selling it on to someone else.
0: I've thought about it. You know, before Scribble Maps, like I I was a freelancer. I worked directly with clients. I could probably make more money in doing service contracts or, or definitely scale up. A line. It's just right now where we are with our product growth, I just don't have the patience. Like You, you do need a certain personality to be like to take on service contracts. It is a, a, a specific skill set. I enjoy building the product. So that's kind of why I'm not really heavily focused on it at the, the current time.
1: So you you were talking about wedding maps before. When you think about some of the very specific maps people are making on on your platform, what, what, what do you think about it? And I'm asking this because I'm sure that this will generate some ideas for the people listening that go. Oh, well, maybe I could make something that was like do mapping just for these people. So, so what are the most popular kinds of maps?
0: I mean, the most popular map I have on my platform is named Test. <laughs> but the uh, outside of that, the I would say travel maps and vacation maps are for the non-professional, is one of the most popular. Fitness and adventure, like hiking uh, trails, weddings is another one. Definitely something around non-professionals making vacation maps and travel maps. Fitness is another big one where people are willing to spend money on their fitness. So like tracking runs. There's a lot of existing apps for run tracking, but I feel like it's such a big space that there's probably space for other competitors. That's another thing I I would say about this space in general. Just because someone else is doing something doesn't mean there's not a desire to do it a different way or your way. You know, when people use Scribble Maps, there is kind of a Scribble Maps way or this hybrid between Illustrator and Photoshop. Like the way all of our tools work, because I started as a designer, so that was kind of my UX standard I was working with if you do something in a different way, there will always be people that prefer your way over to a different way.
1: What about if you went, like, I I totally understand what you're saying, but that means that people need to have experienced your way first. And I'm thinking about this, you know, getting, um, traffic to the website, getting traction. Could you, for example, with scribble maps, like copy, paste start another instance of, of scribble maps under a new domain wedding maps and like branch out from there?
0: I could, you know, for a while, we, um, we actually had a full API, so you could like kind of take scribble maps and kind of build your own app using it. We, we discontinued that mostly because what we found was the only reason it was getting used was so for organizations to essentially leverage our whole application for free and not have to pay per seat. Right. So we, we, we said, well, so we'll do it in very specific cases. If a large organization comes to us, we might give them a Scribble Maps version, but we don't really offer those tools anymore. We don't think there's enough opportunity for us, and, and instead, we focus on allowing people to get data in and out of our platform, as opposed to actually letting them build a kind of a Scribble Maps spinoff. Now, I could certainly build it myself using our own API, but my timeline is another twenty, thirty years. I'm I I'm trying to become a viable alternative to you know, in a lot of cases for ArcGIS and QGIS. So because of that, that consumes all my time. So I'm not necessarily going to go and run off and spin up a bunch of separate niche products that I have to maintain because building, you know, a a mapping platform that that caters to professionals and non-professionals allows you to do a lot is, is already so much that I'm not necessarily going to go run off and start building separate niche products.
1: Is that, and I, I guess the reason why you're doing that is you're talking about becoming a viable competitor to QGIS, ArcGIS, that must be because that's where you see the most opportunity, right? Like as opposed to doing some of these other things that, that we've been talking about. Is, is that because you're already close to that now? Or is that because you see an influx of new users that are going to want that? Is that because you can see a, a market that you can easily, or a segment that you can easily market to? What is it about that, like becoming a competitor to the, to those two two products?
0: I mean, it's the total addressable market, and the business opportunity is it, it's pretty clear, right? And I, I mean, the challenge with going up against you know an Esri or even KG is just they've just been around for so long, and they have a lot of moats. So you know, we take a patients first approach. We're definitely seeing GIS professionals coming onto our platform more and more every day, especially as we add more analysis features. So I just think there is space for another GIS alternative. But besides ArcGIS and QGIS, that is different, right? Because there are definitely alternatives to ArcGIS and QGIS, but they're all very similar. And so I, I we're just trying to create something that's an alternative and different, right? So that's why going back to our previous point, we're always trying to avoid that convergence. So we're trying to always think, okay, can we do this in a more clever way, an interesting way, a simpler way, in less clicks? And could we bring functionality that's in an ArcGIS or QGIS and let someone with, you know, almost no map training do some of these things? But there is certainly, and this, this is the challenge, there is a cutoff. There is a point where, you're kind of wasting your time trying to make a feature work for someone with no mapping experience that will never use it. So there definitely is that line somewhere. It's, it's hard to find, but it, it definitely, at a certain point, there's no reason to make things simpler.
1: So it sounds like you, you've got this really clear goal in mind. You've got this, this, this guiding star. You want to be this viable alternative to QJS, to ArcGIS. And knowing that, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself when you when you started this company? Knowing that this is going to be the goal
0: for me individually, it probably would have started to build out some of these things much earlier. Because Scribble Map started out as this side of this kind of side hobby project, I didn't even make really make any money for the first five years. Right? It wasn't until I think year seven that I was making a living. I didn't really think it was even possible that I could compete in the GIS space. You know, people overestimate what they can do in a couple of years and underestimate what they can do in, you know, 10, 15 years. So I would have started a lot earlier and also built out some more analysis features and some of the stuff a bit earlier than I'm getting to it now. And when I started for for better and for worse, I had no idea what GIS was either. I had, like, I had no context. Um, And I think that helped me in a lot of regards because so scroll maps ended up being different because i wasn't aware of arcgis and qgis
1: yeah that's really interesting the curse of knowledge i guess some people would call that but now that you know what they are and you have this guiding light there you you know where you want to go do you ever look at them and see well and and create like similar functionality so if this was me for example i would say like well what's popular in arcgis now what functionality are they pushing what are people talking about perhaps i'd go to the qgis um, plugins. Uh, download page and see and look at the most popular ones i'd perhaps look at the 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 ones that have been downloaded the most i'd I'd read the comments about plugins i was thinking about making do you do research like that to figure out like what to make next or or do you do something completely different
0: sometimes not usually we're mostly driven by user feedback and i'll put a big asterisk on that because I, i see a lot of startups saying user feedback we don't necessarily take a literal approach to all user feedback. There, there are definitely situations where we get a user and they're like, I want this feature um, and we just build it. But a lot of the times we, we get user feedback, we have to decide, okay, will this benefit a vast majority of our users? What's the, the, the value of it? Like, Can we make money from it? And, and, the, and this is a really important part. What is the actual essence of the problem they have? This is getting a little bit off map, but I think it's worth talking about. You know, when when you had feature phones, for instance, before the the iPhone, most people knew they sucked. Like, if you use their menu, no one was really thinking, "Oh, it would be cool if I could just swipe." And if if they did, the, they were very clever. And but then when the iPhone came out and you could do all these things, it's like, "Oh, this is in hindsight, this is how this is brilliant, right?" But people didn't have that beforehand. So a lot of the times, the user feedback you get isn't going to tell you. How to make something innovative? It's just going to tell you that something's bad, and that's one of the challenges with uh, user feedback. In terms of building similar functionality, it's going to happen, right? Like, there's going to be as I'm build features. There are definitely things that I'm building that can will be done in other platforms. But how we approach it is, we don't ever want to do something where we're trying we're making a one to one copy because we, we don't feel that's valuable. We go we try to look at it and be like, can we build this? And how can we do it better? We approach everything like that. Can we build this and can we do it better? Can we make it simpler? How can we improve on it? We try to avoid at all costs doing one-to-one copies.
1: What advice would you have for other mapping startups, like without sort of giving away your playbook? But when you see mapping startups out there today, and I've, I've seen a bunch of them recently, and they're all sort of, the, the tagline is democratizing mapping or making mapping easy or, or, or something along those lines anyway. And they a lot of them seem to have a, a lot of sort of fun, gimmicky things where, where it would be enticing to make a map. And perhaps it's really easy to share a map. Like, what advice would you have for for startups now that you've got so much experience in this industry?
0: It benefits me to say, well, don't build a general purpose map builder because that's what I'm building, right, from a competitive. But I'm, I'm being honest when I, I, I actually say I, I think there's, I mean, if you really want to throw your hat in with me and ArcGIS and QGIS, you certainly can. I just think it's it's really challenging. And I would say, look at building, you know, like abstracted niche specific products, going back to that Google Maps example with the abstraction, think like that. I think the problem, and I've I've said this before, the problem with saying things, well, like we want to democratize maps, we want to make it easy, we want to bring mapping to everyone is mapping is sort of like gardening, right? You're going to have people that are into it and you're going to have people that aren't. And you can't force people that aren't into it to just start making maps, right? It's like, well, I have a new type of spade. It's better than all the other spades. And all I need to do is get everyone on the planet Earth to start gardening. That's not going to happen, right? However, there are certainly, because of the the way mapping works, there are certainly use cases where everyone would use a map. They might not want to make it manually. They might not want to draw lines or put down markers, but they're certainly going to want to use it to either have fun or improve their lives or get results quickly or make decisions. An example I love, like I wish I had come up with it, is say walk score. And walk score is just one way of doing it, right? There's a, there's a million ways you could, you could create your own version of walk score using different algorithms or different criterias or different priorities. And that would be your unique version of walk score. And I, I'm sure there's other examples of like, that kind of abstraction that would be really valuable to people in the non-professional besides, you know, just helping everyone put a line or a marker down on a map.
1: Yeah. I think that's really valuable advice. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Probably you could start off being very specific and then go broader as well, but it seems like there's very few spaces left for that one size fits all product, like the, the general, general product. I can see it being difficult to build other competitors already in the marketplace, And I can see it being very difficult to market like a general product. Who do you market that to?
0: That is one of the ultimate challenges we have, right? Like you, our marketing is almost always shotgun marketing. Now that we have, we've grown to a size where we have kind of like case studies, we can target specific industries, but that's the problem you have with a general purpose product. And the, the other challenge is if you're going into the general purpose mapping is that professional map makers need a lot of tools. They need to be able to, to, you know, clip a polygon. They need to be able to click a buffer. They need to be able to see it do impacts. They need to create charts. They need to create, they need to do all of these things. And if you don't offer it, they're just going to um, move on. And the, they'll oftentimes move on without even telling you. You know, I have a lot of users and a lot of the times features I built that people sometimes will end up paying for. They never asked for, I just said, you know, I'm going to build this and see if someone's interested in it. So that's another challenge that you're not necessarily, if you're going 100% off user feedback, you're not necessarily going to know like what you're missing. So it, you you it's, it's creating a mapping startup is kind of being a, in perpetual startup mode because you're always trying to throw things and features out and see what works and what doesn't. And you have to also be willing to drop things that aren't working or nobody's using.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably a really good spot to round off the conversation. Um, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you sort of pulling the curtain back and telling us a little bit about your business, the problems that you see or are faced along the way, the opportunities that you see. And uh, I particularly appreciate the, the advice there for anyone out there that's thinking about creating their own sort of web mapping business. I, I think that'll be really helpful to to them. So I really appreciate it. Jonathan, we're, we've sent the name Scribble Maps uh, a bunch of times. Is there Anywhere you'd like to tell people to go? Is there anywhere we can send people if they want to follow you personally, if they want to learn more or, or try out Scribble Maps?
0: I mean, yeah, you can definitely, for this podcast, we're offering one deal. So go scribblemaps.com forward slash mapscaping and you can get a deal for the Pro Basic or Pro Business for one year. You can follow me on uh, Scribble Maps on Twitter. We're constantly posting updates. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. I, I sometimes muse about all my GIS and startup. Thoughts on there as well.
1: Thanks again for your time, Jonathan. Re- really appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks so much, Daniel. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Jonathan, CEO and co-founder of Scribble Maps. Remember that if you want to try out the Scribble Maps platform for yourself, Jonathan has generously agreed to provide the listeners of this podcast with a special offer. So if you go to ScribbleMaps.com Mapscaping, you can get access to to the Scribble Maps platform at a really, really heavily discounted rate. And that's it for this week's episode of the Mapscaping podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in again this week. Really, really appreciate it. I'll be back again next week, so I hope that you'll take the time to join me then. I would love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, just visit mapscaping.com and there'll be a bunch of, of different ways that you can connect with me there. See you next week. Bye.